Blog Talk Radio. week. This is the Reverend John St. Germain welcoming you once again to the Crystal Silence League Radio Hour. And tonight we're going to discuss the uh, Society for Psychical Research and their early experiments in researching the paranormal with their um, experiments with Mrs. Leonora Piper, the American spirit medium. And uh, we'll be back with that in just a minute or so. So do come back, and we'll have our crystal of the week, and we'll have our prayers, and then we'll dive right into that discussion. So do return, won't won't you? I'll be here. My goodness, Blog Talk Radio seems to be functioning tremendously well tonight, at least through my headphones. The sound is splendid. All the buttons on my virtual studio are working exemplary. The chat is up. The connection is good. Oh my goodness, I shouldn't jinx it by bragging on it, so let's just go right into it. Where we left, last left the Society for Psychical Research, they were hitting the ground running, researching spirit mediums, and they decided not to waste their time with uh, darkroom physical mediums who were creating bumps, things that go bump in the night, but concentrate on mental mediums, those who uh, investigated um, uh, trance uh, trance mediums, basically, those who uh, channeled the spirits of the dead. And we'll get to those um, in just a minute. Just a minute. Our uh, crystal for tonight is uh, Azizulite, which is a a very interesting form of quartz. It's a very high-vibration stone that was uh, actually discovered fairly recently. And um, uh, this is a very powerful stone. Um, The vibrations of the stone are so high that many people feel discomfort working with it at first. This is uh, a stone a crystal, a form of quartz, high vibrational quartz, that 
only really only people who are experienced working with high vibrational stones uh, uh, such as kyanite uh, should work with and um, it uh, does uh, vibrate to the higher chakras um, and it helps create connections with spirits with higher beings and um, it will uh, generate a vortex of energy around your entire body Um, it can instantly raise the kundalini energy um, which is why it's such a uh, uh, some people say hazardous stone to work with it it, like all quartz it can transform energy Uh, it is a stone uh, of almost pure light so uh, work with it with caution Uh, I bring it to you because it's a stone that's used uh, quite often to connect uh, almost instantaneously to the spirit world if your abilities as a spirit medium are blocked this is a go-to stone to help uh, clear the way to the astral channel a very powerful stone is this is this too light Uh, very small piece very strong never needs discharging never needs cleansing never needs charging apparently uh, creates uh, or channels its own energy from the astral channel Um, so um, it is mined by the way in the south and uh, this is a um, mined in North Carolina in America Uh, it's stone found here in the south if you look at our picture you see it's a very pretty stone uh, milky white stone has a, a very unique and characteristic crystal matrix. Uh, usually, it's found uh, in a form that's white. It looks almost like porcelain. Uh, has all the characteristics of quartz in that it will transmit, transform, and transmute energy. It stores energy. It remembers what you tell it. And um, it has additional abilities to communicate with angelic, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, and other spiritual beings. Um, so use it use it carefully. Use it very carefully. Um, is this like? That's our stone of the week. For those of you who've been following us, you know that we are the Crystal Silence League. Um, you also know that in the Crystal Silence League, and I, I say this cautiously, we work with crystals as a spiritual tool, a spiritual aid, the use of crystals is not meant to be a substitute for medical treatment. If you have a serious medical condition or a serious psychological condition, we do not suggest you use crystals uh, as a substitute for medical or psychological treatment. We do not. If you have diabetes, cancer, um, even the flu, seek medical attention. If you suffer from clinical depression, clinical anxiety, uh, any any clinical psychological condition, uh, you should seek proper medical condition. We use stones and crystals as support. We believe that stones and crystals properly used as focus for spiritual meditations and projections and attractions can help along with medical support. We believe that if you are depressed, not 
clinic not suffering from clinical depression, and these terms are often confused, that meditation, projection, and attraction can help with if you're depressed, if you have depression, not if you suffer from clinical depression. I need to make this clear. There's been a a recent misunderstanding where where I was accused of saying that um, crystals can cure depression, not clinical depression. No. Um, if you suffer from clinical anxiety, you need to seek professional help. Stones and crystals cannot cure these conditions. They can help along with medical support. This I truly believe. Properly used. The show is a support for the members of the Crystal Silence League who um, find this show through our Crystal Silence League. Uh, I assume that uh, you're, you're familiar with our techniques and with our teachings and with our literature. Um, our newsletter, and you understand the proper place and use of crystals, not that crystals uh, will cure anything. As I often tell my clients, uh, what I do is not insulin. It will not save your life. What I do is more like ibuprofen. It's support. It can help. Help you over the bumps. And the Crystal Silence League, of course, was formed around 19... 1917 or so by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of providing prayer and support for those in need of such. And it was around for a long time when he passed into the silence around 1954. The league went with him until adepts of uh, what was in Missionary Independent Spiritual Church and now is the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches. Um, Brought it back to life on the web around 2009, I believe. And you can find us now at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And if you go there, you can go to the prayer uh, page, prayer requests, and you can post prayers. And we get about 200 or more prayers a week. And if you go there, people will pray for you. That doesn't cost you anything. Prayer is always free. This is something that we do as a service to the community. And um, it is supported by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, which is, of course, supported by its members, and also by the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches. And uh, Missionary Independent Spiritual Church is under the umbrella, as is my church, Divine Harmony Spiritual Church, and a whole bunch of others, which you can see listed on that page and on the air page. So, with that said, if you'd like to go there, we'll read some prayers. And I always read these anonymously by prayer ID alone. So let's um, um, look at some of these. And I'll say prayer ID number 73084. Who prays that my ex-husband stops disrupting my life? Please pray that my ex-husband stops disrupting mine and my daughter's life when we finally have some small blessings in our life. He's been doing it for six months. Caused me to lose a job and let this stop this year and never happen again. Amen. And she's also praying about a relationship she has. She says that Kay and I, she hopes we last for years and get married. And he treats my daughter as if she is his own. And that we have a loving and respectful growing relationship. Amen. We'll pray for that too. And um, prayer ID 73080. Who prays that God will get through to RM and he will take the grace given to him to stop his evil ways against people. And if he doesn't repent, then may God have his way with this man. Amen. 
The priority 73079, who says, please help for positive results from my father's mental result from the government. Amen. This is someone I know. Um, may may he be blessed. Priority 73078. Lord, I thank you for all your blessings. I ask that you keep me and my family cleansed of all negativity, protected from all evil, harm, and sin, and that you keep the way free of every and all obstacles that would keep us from living happy, healthy, prosperous, and carefree. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer ID 73077. Please bless N, the man I was seeing. I had to end things abruptly. However, I still want to remain friends. Bless him and hope he reaches out to me to continue being friends. I care for him. My heart will break if I can't continue the friendship. Pray he finds it in his heart to keep me as a friend, and especially for our children. Thank you. Amen. Prayer ID 73076. Please pray that both Southwest Gas and Target settle with me this week. I need the money for my son's school tuition. Thank you. Amen. Prayer ID 73075. Asking for prayer for my loan request to be approved. I need about $2,500 to escort my son to California for a month with his father. Please pray this request is granted to make this happen. Amen. Prayer ID 73074. I want this man, T, to tell me he loves me. We spend a lot of time together, but he wants a friendship, relationship that grows. But I want a committed relationship. He wants me to be everything as if we are a couple, so please help him realize he needs to settle down. He's almost 60, and I'm 47. I, tell that guy he's running out of time. You think you're going to live forever? Tell him to – that old man – tell that old goat he's running out of time. He needs to get with the program. He'll be standing tall before the old man before long, and the old man will be saying, why didn't you get with that woman? Prayer ID 73072. Please pray for me so that he comes back to me in love. Let us be together. Let him open his heart to me and allow me to love him and for him to come love me back. Pray that he realizes I'm the woman of his life and I love him. Please pray that he would fall in love with me too. Amen. Prayer ID 73070. Protect me from losing my job. Make me successful in landing a new role in a research area that I love. Everything's been falling apart, and I've grown too weary to fight back. Don't give up. Please pray that I don't lose my current job. I'm skilled, but the job isn't going well, and it's painful. Please, this is the last time in my life I'm going to finally pursue a grad degree and work teach in the field I've always loved. Hard to define, so it's been taking me a long time narrowing it down. Pray that I find this area and the right people, right school, right company. Open doors. Give me life and joy, not pain. Amen. And then we have prayer ID 73069 who has financial problems. And she prays, please help me find a job. All my accounts are overdrawn. I need my money to overflow again. Please pray for me. Need a good paying job. And also my husband, Mark. Oop, or M, needs a permanent job. No more temporary jobs. Amen. Prayer ID 73067. F has gone crazy. Stop him, Lord, please. Amen. 
and prayer ID 73065. Dear Mother, Father God, I affirm the amount of $5,000 to be manifested by me for surgery on July 9th, 2018. Granted, gifted, or loaned with reasonable terms, so mote it be. Well, let us uh, have a moment of silent prayer and contemplation for all those in need of comfort, support, and help. Amen. May all be blessed. Well, we've been talking about um, a lot of things, actually. We've been talking about the Society for Psychical Research that was founded in the uh, 1840s on both sides of the continent. Um, A group of very intelligent people uh, earnestly investigating the paranormal um, not simply a group of zealous believers in the paranormal, but uh, equally comprised of uh, three types of people. Uh, those who believed that there was a, a consciousness that survived death. Those who just didn't believe it at all, uh, what we now call skeptics. And those who were in the middle, those who didn't believe or disbelieve. They just were keen on investigating the matter using the tools of science. And, uh, of course, skeptic skepticism means open-minded investigation. This is what it originally means. Now, when people say, well, I'm skeptical of these things, that they mean they just don't believe, which is what my friend, the late Dr. Marcello Trucci, calls scoffers. They're scoffers or pseudo-skeptics. And uh, that's what uh, most uh, groups today that identify with skepticism are. They're scoffers. They just don't believe in the paranormal. And they gleefully debunk everything. And uh, you know the motto of PSYCOP, the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of the Paranormal, that they stated in their mission statement was one horse laugh is worth a thousand syllogisms. 
they they set out to mock the paranormal. That was Kendrick Frazier, and um, the uh, uh, the publisher of uh, Prometheus Books. Um, oh gosh, what was his name? Um, he passed away recently, um, and um, um, but he. Uh, Prometheus books, Prometheus books. I got some right here on my shelf. I'll tell you just a minute. Um, he's one of the co-founders. Um, uh, Paul Kurtz, Paul Kurtz, because Paul Kurtz and uh, Marcello Trucci originally founded Psychop, and when Marcello Trucci said, Doctor Trucci said, "Well, let's uh, be open-minded and fair about investigating the paranormal." Paul Kurtz and the other guys threw him out, and he started his own uh, research group. Um, called the Committee for Scientific Anomalies Research, or SAR, and he had his own newsletter called the Zetetic, and uh, was was very critical of PSYCOP. PSYCOP now is called PSI, CSI, believe it or not, Committee for Scientific Investigation, even though they've never never performed a scientific uh, investigation. They never have. Um, so uh, the Committee for Scientific Research uh, uh, the Society for Scientific Research had uh, such people as William James and uh, um, Podmore and uh, uh, a fellow named uh, William Hodgson. Hodgson was a uh, on the skeptical side. He he started out not believing in spirit mediums, but Mrs. Popper made a compelling case to him, and uh, Hodgson had detectives following her around and her associates and her husband and everybody to see if they were doing research. Now, remember, this was in the 1800s. We didn't, they didn't have computers. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have cell phones. They had nothing. They didn't have the modern conveniences. If you wanted to know something about somebody, you had to go follow them around and investigate them. This is not to say that investigations weren't made by, uh, by people. You know, you could go to graveyards and find public records and stuff, but she wasn't doing this. So, uh, Mrs. Popper was even brought from America to England at the expense of the SPR, where she didn't know anybody. Uh, and you, you know, communication from America to England was done by uh, very tedious methods in those days. The uh, uh, th- things like letters and postcards and telegraph later on. So, uh, and just as in America with the SPR, sitters were usually introduced anonymously. And yet Mrs. Popper continued to get impressive results. Now, if you get the early issues of the journal of the SPR, you can read hundreds of transcripts of these sittings. And I'll tell you that most of the critics, if any of them, um, that criticize uh, an attempt to debunk the uh, Mrs. Popper sittings, I've asked some of these people, have you read these? Well, I don't have to read them to know that they're, uh, they're fake. Uh, wait a minute, what? And it's like the people who criticize the entire body of work of Joseph Ryan, uh, you know, who invented the term extrasensory perception at Duke University. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tests. And they'll say, well, that was probably uh, this. And I said, have you read his 60 years of research? Have you read it? Well, no, I don't have to read it to know that uh, it, you know, something had to happen there that wasn't ESP. Well, how do you know? Um, and, uh, you know, when people tell me there's no scientific evidence for uh, 
psychic phenomena, uh, there, there's a lot. The entire body of research of the SPR and the entire body of research of Joseph Ryan for one, you know, or two. So what proved to be the turning point for Hodgson was when he started hearing from a friend, uh, the GP communications, George Pelham, um, whose real name was Pelou, uh, was a young Boston lawyer who was, was uh, very interested in literature and philosophy. He was a uh, you know, he was a geek. You know, he was a bibliophile. So as a friend of Hodgson, the two had discussed the possibility of an afterlife uh, intimately. So Pelou was extremely skeptical of the possibility. He did promise Hodgson that if he should die first and find himself still living, you know, as a discorporate specter, uh, he would try his best to communicate. So two years later, uh, during these investigations, uh, Pelou met his death at the age of 32, uh, by falling. So four weeks later, Hodgson accompanied a close friend of Palou to a sitting with Mrs. Piper. And the friend was uh, under the pseudonym of John Hart. So with uh, Penway, who you know, Penway was the uh, French physician who was the control of Mrs. Piper as an intermediary. Messages uh, uh, purporting to come from um, uh, Palou were relayed to Hart. And it should be remembered that Palou had attending a sitting with Mrs. Piper uh, about five years before, also under an assumed name, and that Hodgson did not think that Mrs. Piper ever remembered seeing him. Remember, she had done hundreds of sittings by then. Um, but at any rate, at the sitting, George Palou's name was given in full, and the sitter was recognized by his real name, even though uh, Mrs. Piper had no way of knowing it, and the communications referred to incidences, uh, incidents that were unknown to both the sitter and Hodgson. Uh, so one of these uh, unknown incidents, and this created quite a sensation once it was verified, concerned James and Mary Howard, who were mentioned by name, along with that of their daughter Catherine. And the message, as it was recorded, was, tell her, she'll know, this was from uh, Palou, uh, I'll solve the problems, Catherine. And th this meant nothing to Hodgson or the sitter, but when, you know, Hart, you know, Hart, quote, the the person uh, under the pseudonym gave James Howard an account of the sitting the next day, uh, th this was the most impressive, uh, what you would call a hit, uh, it was the most impressive um, phenomenon of that entire sitting. So Palou, when he last stayed with the Howards, had talked frequently with Catherine about certain philosophical problems. And it turned out that Palou had told the girl that he would solve the problems and let her know uh, using almost word for word uh, the same phrases communicated at the sitting. So now Hodgson is very impressed by this. So three weeks later, uh, he arranged a sitting with the Howards without giving the names uh, to uh, Mrs. Piper. Uh, Panway uh, first said a few words, then suddenly um, Palou appeared to control Mrs. Piper's voice directly, this through direct possession without the control. So this new control lasted uh, almost dur the duration of the seance, um, uh, the nature of which Hodgson uh, describes in the journal. And he says, the statements made were intimately personal and characteristic. Uh, common friends were referred to by name Inquiries were made about private matters, and the Howards, who were not predisposed to take any interest at all in psychical research, but who had been induced by the account of Mr. Hart, 
to have a sitting with Mrs. Piper, were profoundly impressed with the feeling that they were in truth holding a conversation with the personality of the friend whom they had known for many years. Um, some notes that were taken during the seance, which were recorded in the journal of the SPR, uh, uh, suggest the um, the tone of these seances. We we don't uh, unless you read these, uh, you, you don't really get the feeling of how these seances were profoundly um, intimate. Um, so uh, Palou says, Jim, is that you? Speak to me quick. I'm not dead. Don't think me dead. I'm awfully glad to see you. Can't you see me? Don't you hear me? Give my love to my father and tell him I want to see him. I'm happy here, and, and more so since I find I can communicate with you. I pity those people here who can't speak. And so uh, Mr. Hart, uh, who, who by now has been identified by the Spirit, says, What do you do, George? Where are you? And Palou says, I'm scarcely able to do anything yet. I'm just awakened to the reality of life after death. It was like darkness. I could not distinguish anything at first. Darkest hours just before dawn, you know that, Jim. I was puzzled, confused. Shall I have to have an occupation soon? Now I can see you, my friends. I can hear you speak. Your voice, Jim, I can distinguish with your accent and articulation, but it sounds like a big bass drum. Mine would sound to you like the faintest whisper. And so, uh, Mr. Hart, you know, Jim says, our conversation then is something like telephoning? Yes, by long-distance telephone. And Palou laughs. Were you not surprised to find yourself living? And Palou says, perfectly so, greatly surprised. I didn't believe in a future life. So, uh, in seances from that point on, um, Palou sometimes communicated directly through Mrs. Piper's voice and sometimes through automatic writing. And uh, that became more common as time passed. Uh, so Palou's career as a drop-in communicator persisted until about 1897. And out of 150 sitters who were introduced to Palou during that time, he recognized by name 29 of the 30 that George Palou had known in life. And the only exception was a young woman who had been a child when Palou had last seen her when he was alive. He conversed with each of these individuals in the appropriate manner and showed an intimate knowledge of his, presumably, his uh, past relationships with him. And as Hodgson, uh, the skeptic, wrote in each case, the recognition was clear and full and accompanied by an appreciation of the relations which subsisted between uh, Palou living and the sitters. And there was not a single case, not one, of false recognition. That is, Palou never once greeted any one of the 120 that the living Palou had not known. So Hodgson adds um, in his notes of this uh, very interesting case, the continual manifestation of this personality which was so different from uh, Penway or other communicators with its own reservoir of memories, with its swift appreciation of any references to friends of Palou, with its give and take and little incidental conversations with myself, has helped largely in producing a conviction of the actual presence of the uh, George Palou personality, which it would be quite impossible to impart by any mere enumeration of verifiable statements. What he's saying is the personality um, was even more convincing than the factual statements. 
1898, when he published his report on Mrs. Piper's mediumship for the SPR, Hodgson had become a firm believer in survival. In large part, his conversion seems to be due to the clear expression of the personality and memories of his late friend, George Pelou. So Hodgson was convinced that Mrs. Piper had no knowledge of the living Pelou. He he made it his life mission to investigate this. So how could she succeed dramatically impersonating, which is what happened here, uh, somebody she had barely met more than four years earlier in a way that convinced 30 people who were intimate with Pelou before he died? So near the end of his report, Hodgson states that um, although further experimental evidence may lead him to change his mind, at the present, I cannot profess to have any doubt but that the chief communicators to whom I have referred in the foregoing pages are veritably the personalities that they claim to be, that they have survived the change we call death, and that they have directly communicated with us whom we call living through Mrs. Piper's entranced organism. These are scientific men using scientific methods establishing that a spirit of a living person communicated through a spirit medium. Let's have station identification and we'll return. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Condraman Ollie. Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, and The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7, all time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now our story goes into Act Two. In December 1905, Hodgson himself dies unexpectedly at the age of 50. After a game of handball, he played at his club. And a week later, messages purporting to come from the now deceased Hodgson begin to be relayed by Mrs. Piper. So reports of these messages reaches Hodgson's old friend and our old friend, William James, the philosopher, one of the founders of the SPR. So intrigued, James once again begins to investigate Mrs. Piper's mediumship. He had moved on to other things by then. His report to the SPR in 1909 covered some 75 sittings in which Hodgson was said to be in control of Mrs. Piper. James found much of the material impressive as evidence of supernormal knowledge. And everyone admitted that the Hodgson control showed many of the personal traits of Hodgson. However, James stopped short of committing himself to the view that the messages were indeed from his deceased friend. And the reasons why were that Mrs. Popper had known the living Hodgson very well, so James felt that Mrs. Popper could be subconsciously dramatizing his personality and furnishing it with information acquired by ESP. At any rate, 
James' reservation were shared by Mrs. Sidgwick, Sir Oliver Large, and Oliver Lodge and J.G. Pennington, all of whom were to go further than James in their commitment to the survival hypothesis. There was uh, much commentation that an explanation for mediumship uh, was telepathy, that information could have been achieved by telepathy and by something called super telepathy or super uh, mind reading, where information was received by the medium. And this was a big debate. What were were certain mediums getting information from spirits or by reading the minds of the sitters? Once uh, trickery or um, delusion was eliminated, when they said, "Okay, yeah, they're getting information that uh, they don't, they couldn't know," you know, they're getting good information. But is it from spirit, or is it from reading the minds? You know, it is super normal, but is it ESP or super ESP or uh, from spirit? They suggested that telepathy was a, was a solution, other than getting it from spirit. Um, um, so, um, Mrs. Popper's trance mediumship uh, continued until 1911, and uh, she was to play a part in what was called cross correspondences, um, which is quite interesting. These were messages that involved several different mediums. Uh, three to five mediums from different spirits that were dialogues between different spirits and different mediums that had to be put together like a puzzle. They were very interesting. We may go into that. Um, um, and uh, many of these mediums, instead of cultivating a clientele, as you know, psychics do today, they put themselves at the disposal of the SPR for scientific research. Um, so during that whole period, um, which span uh, quite a while, uh, both in America and England, uh, the SPR gave high priority to the question of survival as a research problem. So they moved on from Mrs. Piper to a medium who uh, was known as uh, Mrs. Leonard. Her name was Gladys Leonard, and she... Um, lived from 1882 to 1968. And uh, as a child, she used to have visions. She had religions of a religious nature. And uh, when later, when she was um, uh, a teenager, well, she was a late teenager. She was married. Uh, she had a seance with some friends and discovered, by golly, she was a spirit medium. She passed into a trance. And uh, after she recovered, she had no memories of what happened, but she was told that her mother and a young girl, uh, whose name was Feda, had spoken through her. And Feda claimed to be the spirit of an Indian girl uh, whom an ancestor of Mrs. Leonard had married in the early 19th century. Now, those statements couldn't be verified, but there was a family tradition of such a girl, the story being that she had died in childbirth. But whatever the true status, uh, Feda became Mrs. Leonard's chief control. And from that point on, uh, Feta treated Mrs. Leonard uh, uh, harshly. She uh, made fun of her and uh, treated her with uh, – she, she barely tolerated her. Uh, these transcripts show that she uh, looked down her nose at her. She looked like she was a child. Um, so we, we started entering the era of the First World War. Feta began to speak of a coming catastrophe. Um, 
and urged Mrs. Leonard to do her duty to help as many bereaved people as possible. This was uh, a few. This was a couple of years before the World War even started. Now, when the war started, Mrs. Leonard became a professional medium and devoted herself to helping bereaved widows and mothers. Yet at the same time, uh, she subjected herself or, sub, uh, or submitted uh, to investigation by members of the SPR, and uh, for a time, the practice by Hodgson became part of their uh, de rigueur procedure. She was shadowed by detectives to ensure that she did not uh, make inquiries into sitters or employ agents to do so. And the first member of the SPR to study her in detail was Sir Oliver Lodge, who was greatly impressed by communications purporting to come from a son killed in the war. Lodge's book about those communications, um, entitled Raymond, which I have and I've read, um, made Mrs. Leonard famous. And rightfully so. It's very impressive. Um, you know, if it's if it's factual, and I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be, um, it's quite impressive. Um, so from then until the early years of the Second World War, she was regularly studied by SPR investigators. Feta remained her principal guide throughout the entire period. Uh, most communications were given by speech, uh, with Feta acting as an intermediary. And occasionally, other communicators would take control of Mrs. Leonard's voice, and sometimes there was some automatic writing, mostly oral communication, though. So in many ways, these mediumship of Mrs. Leonard resembled that of Mrs. Piper. Uh, so we won't go over all that uh, again, but um, uh, 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 you know, Mrs. Piper would occasionally produce information that was unknown to any of the sitters, but later turned out to be verified. Mrs. Leonard's mediumship is primarily uh, of interest because of um, many, many instances in which she produced such information, which would rule out telepathy. Right? If 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 you produce, if the spirit tells you things, and you go, well, I don't know about that. And then you go home and find it out from somebody else, you know, or you look in a family Bible and say, oh yeah, yeah, we did have an uncle Elmer who lost a leg in the war. Then that can't be telepathy. So a lot of this uh, took place uh, a lot with uh, Mrs. Piper, but a whole lot with Mrs. Leonard, uh, and. Uh, during Mrs. Leonard, a procedure took place that became popular with uh, mediums quite a, a lot afterward, which is known as the book test um, and, and proxy sittings. The, um, the, the origin of the book test seems to be uh, hard to pin down, but Mrs. Leonard did a lot of them. Um, but it seemed... Many writers seem to think that the book tests were first proposed by Feta. But what happens is the the communicator has to specify the location of a book in a house to which the medium has no access, but which is well known to the communicator while living. So the communicator must also specify a page number of that book on which will be found a passage that convey, conveys some appropriate message. It's a, kind of like bibliomancy, but not quite. So... Uh, in the SPR journals, uh, one of the earliest examples of this with uh, uh, Feta and Mrs. Leonard uh, is on March 19, 1917, where uh, Mrs. Leonard was giving a sitting to a widow whose uh, – I don't know if this is her real name or the pseudonym uh, – Mrs. Hugh Talbot. Now, according to Mrs. Talbot, uh, Mrs. Leonard at this time knew neither my name nor address nor had I ever been to her or any other medium before in my life. So – during the first part of the seance, nothing remarkable happened. 
there was a medley of descriptions of various people, but then suddenly, according to Mrs. Tabot, Talbot, Feta gave a very correct description of my husband's personal appearance, and from then on he alone seemed to speak through her, and a most extraordinary conversation followed. Evidently, he was trying by every means in his power to prove to me his identity and to show me it really was himself. All he said, or rather Feta for him, was clear and lucid. Incidents of the past, known only to him and to me, were spoken of, belonging as trivial in themselves, but possessing for him a particular personal interest, of which I was aware, were minutely and correctly described, and I was asked if I still had them. So, Mrs. Talbot was also asked repeatedly if she believed it was the deceased Mr. Talbot who was communicating. Feta kept on saying, do you believe he does want you to know it was really himself? I said, I could not be sure, but I thought it must be true. Suddenly, Feta began a, began a tiresome description of a book. She said it was leather and dark and tried to show me the size. Mrs. Leonard showed a length of 8 to 10 inches long with her hands and 4 to 5 wide. Feta said, it's not exactly a book. It's not printed. Feta wouldn't call it a book. It has writing in it. It was long before I could connect this description with anything at all, but last I remembered a red leather notebook of my husband's, which I think he called a logbook, and I asked, is it a logbook? Fita seemed puzzled at this, and not to know what a logbook was, and repeated the word once or twice, and then said, yes, yes, he said it might be a logbook. I then said, is it a red book? On this point, there was hesitation. They thought possibly it was, though he thought it was darker. The answer was undecided, and Feder began a wearisome description all over again, adding that I was to look on page 12 for something written there, and it would be so interesting after the conversation. Then she said, he is not sure it's page 12. It might be 13. It is so long, but he does want you to look and try to find it. It would interest him to know if this extract is there. None of this interested Mrs. Talbot. Although she thought she remembered the book, she was not even sure if she still had it, and at any rate, the whole business sounded purposeless to her. She replied rather indefinitely that she would see if she could find the book, but this did not satisfy the communicator, who was apparently passing messages through FIDA. So she started all over again, <laughs> becoming more and more insistent, and went on to say, he's not sure of the color, he doesn't know. There are two books. You'll know the one he means by a diagram of languages in the front, Indo-European, Aryan. Semitic languages, and others. And so uh, Mrs. Talbot remarks, it sounded absolute rubbish to me. I get the idea that Mrs. Talbot wasn't that bright. So thinking the medium was tired and talking nonsense, Mrs. Talbot was glad the sitting came to an end. Over dinner that evening, she mentioned the seance to her sister and niece, and after telling my sister and niece all that I considered the interesting things said in the beginning... I did mention in the end, and the medium began talking a lot of rubbish about a book and asking me to look on page 12 and 13 to find something interesting. After dinner, her sister and niece begged her to look for the book at once. Although Mrs. Talbot wanted to wait until the next day, she finally gave in, and after a bit of searching, found two of her husband's old notebooks in the back of the top bookshelf. Mrs. Talbot tells us that in her written testimony that she had never opened either one of the notebooks. One, a shabby black leather, corresponded in size to the description given, and I absentmindedly opened it, wondering in my mind whether the one I was looking for had been destroyed or only sent away. To my utter astonishment, my eyes fell on the words, Table of Semitic or Syrio-Arabian Languages. 
Even more astonishing was what she found on page 13. On this page, Mr. Talbot had transcribed sometime in his life the following passage from a book called Postmortem, published anonymously in 1881. And I quote, I discovered by certain whispers, which it was supposed I was unable to hear, and from certain glances of curiosity or commiseration, which it was supposed I was unable to see, that I was near death. Presently my mind began to dwell not only on happiness which was to come, but upon happiness that I was actually enjoying. I saw long-forgotten forms, playmates, schoolfellows, companions of my youth and of my old age, who one and all smiled upon me. They did not smile with any compassion that I no longer felt that I needed, but with that sort of kindness which is exchanged by people who are equally happy. I saw my mother, father, and sisters, all of whom I had survived. They did not speak, yet they communicated to me their unaltered and unalterable affection. At about the time they appeared, I made an effort to realize my bodily situation. That is, I endeavored to connect my soul with the body which lay on the bed in my house. The... Endeavor failed, I was dead. There was also a diagram of languages in the front, matching the description given through Feta. Mrs. Talbot's sister and niece corroborated Mrs. Talbot's account and also provided written and signed testimony for the records of the SPR. So, was Mr. Talbot trying to prove his continued existence to his wife by directing her to a relevant passage he'd written in a notebook while alive? And the existence of which only he was aware. So maybe there were other possibilities. I'm not sure. Um, but let's look at other explanations for this. Was it mediumship? Or, or are there other explanations? Well, there's certainly been fraudulent mediums, right? Uh, there have certainly been fraudulent mediums, many of which were exposed by members of the SPR. Um uh, in the best case of mental mediums, um, fraudulent fraud doesn't seem possible. Both Mrs. Piper and Mrs. Leonard were investigated in minute detail, and even arch skeptic Frank Podmore agreed that not the slightest suspicion of fraud was justified. Now, I'm going to tell you that if you go places on the internet like Wikipedia and such, uh, You'll find all kinds of theories. Well, it could have been this, and it could have been that, and it could have been this. They were not there. And boy, is it easy to second guess. Uh, and I don't. I, I, I've asked some of the people that have written those articles. I said, "Have you read the Popper Mediumship?" And they go, "Oh, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages." And I said, "Have you read it?" Well, no, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages. So you're speculating on this stuff without even reading the source material. Man, if you did that in college, um, uh, anyway, you'd get, you know, you know, you, you'd get destroyed in college. So. Both women were trailed by detectives. Mrs. Piper was brought to England where she didn't know anyone. So in order for fraud to account for these messages, it seems that any conspiracy of fraud would have had to include the investigators and witnesses themselves. The whole SPR would have had to have been in on it. Hodson felt it was necessary to briefly deal with it, this wild accusation, and during that time, there were people that did accuse uh you know, when all this was published, they were like, no, no, this has got to be fraud. So uh, uh, Hodgson himself uh, wrote, it has been suggested that the important witnesses in connection with the George Pelou evidence may have been in collusion with Mrs. Piper. The absurdity of the suggestion would be at once apparent if their real names were given, 
but since the only real full names given of actual sitters with the GP are those of Professor C. Elliot Norton and James M. Pierce of Harvard University, who are referred to chiefly as cases of being recognized by the communicating George Pelou is personally known to him, I state concerning the others that I know personally, all but two of the GP sitters, and most of them intimately, that they belong to the most cultivated and respectable class in the United States, and that it would be absurd to suppose any collusion between them and Mrs. Piper as to suppose that the members of the council of the SPR were in conclusion, collusion with her. And in the case of Mrs. Norman's book tests, fraud also seems unlikely. Of course, it's possible that Mrs. Talbot, along with her sister and niece, colluded with Mrs. Leonard, but for what conceivable purpose? It could be argued that Mrs. Talbot and her relatives were paid by Mrs. Leonard to provide written and signed testimony for the records of the SPR in order to enhance her reputation as a medium, but for what purpose? She was already famous because of uh, Oliver Lodge's popular book about her to bring in three Confederates but is very risky, especially if the case were to be scrutinized by the uh, uh, very incisive and intelligent and uh, sometimes ruthless researchers of the SPR. Uh, on the other hand, if uh, Mrs. Leonard acted alone, how could she have gathered that information ahead of time? Uh, while there had been, other, been another seance two days earlier, Confederates would have had to break into the Talbot place and, and, and rifled the place. Uh, you know, they would have had to toss it. Uh, uh, find the book with those passages and discover uh, lots of details about Mr. Tal Talbot's life. Remember, they didn't have the means of research. Uh, you know, we couldn't do that that today uh, without arousing a lot of suspicion of Mrs. Talbot or her relatives. Then the information would have to be presented in a convincing manner on the night of the seance. Uh, and remember how Mrs. Talbot described the messages. Incidents of the past known only to him and to me were spoken of belongings trivial in themselves but possessing for him a particular personal interest of which I was aware were minutely and correctly described and I was asked if I still had them. And finally, uh, Mrs. Tablet, uh, Talbot's niece uh, testified that the notebooks were dusty when found on the shelf. Conscious fraud seems completely out of the question uh, in these very well-documented cases. Uh, now, for everyone except the most paranoid and dedicated conspiracy theorists, the idea of fraud in uh, Mrs. Piper and Mrs. Leonard's uh, cases are, to, to say kindly, inadequate. Now, subconscious fraud uh, is less sinister. Uh, would say the medium's not consciously frauding, but subconsciously. Um, the idea is that the medium in her hypnotic trance state is essentially telling the uh, grief-stricken sitters what they want to hear, but may not be aware of it. And the, the sitters ignore and forget the mistakes, but remembers and celebrates the correct guesses. This is a very common and popular theory that you hear uh, skeptics propose. You hear this a lot you know, on, uh, on television shows. Well, people forget the misses and remember the hits. Uh, not... In my experience, um, I'll do a reading. It's 95% correct, and someone will go, "Well, yeah, but you know, he, uh, he. What about when you said he had blue hair? You know, brown hair. He's got black hair. You know. Um, so, um, this explanation doesn't get very far uh, in the SPR. Uh, 
during the SVR's research in the mediumship of Mrs. Popper, uh, records are made of everything the medium said. The, these are transcriptions um, said or wrote while in trance. There were records uh, of automatic writing. It was it, these were kept. It's clear in many cases in which the medium didn't know the sitters. The amount of accurate and highly detailed information far exceeded what could be expected from guesswork. Uh, uh, there's a guy, H.J. Saltmarsh, who was a member of the SPR, who did a great deal of investigation in mediaship, devised a method of testing the explanation of chance coincidence. Uh, he sent a transcript of two sittings that had been held with the medium, uh, Mrs. Uh, Warren Elliott, to six people who had not visited her, but who had had a similar experience uh, to the sitter, where each had been affected by the death of a young pilot in the war, and the statements were marked for accuracy, and the results for the sitter were then compared with the results from uh, the control, control group in the first sitting out of a total of 5,642 statements. 73% of the statements were marked accurate for the sitter, but only 8% of the statements were marked accurate for the control group. In other words, the theory that's sometimes called the Barnum statements, that mediums say things that apply to everybody, do not apply to a real medium or psychic. So in the second sitting, out of 5,554 statements, 58% were marked accurate for the sitter, but only 9% for the control group. The idea of the Barnum statement is utterly bogus. Uh, it was invented by skeptics to appease skeptics. It's like when someone watches a magician who does a marvelous piece of sleight of hand, and someone says, oh, you know, it's, it's marked cards and went up his sleeve. I call it Occam's butter knife. Uh, it, it's, it's a dull explanation that impresses dull people, does not work in real life. Uh, statistician R.A. Fisher calculated that the odds against the medium obtaining her results by chance were approximately 1 billion to 1, much more than lucky guesswork is required. I'll tell you furthermore that most of the people doing uh, uh, st uh, st uh, st uh, static uh, – uh, 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 statistician work for uh, uh, the skeptical groups have no idea uh, how to do um, uh, numbers. They failed statistics in school, uh, and this includes Richard Wiseman and Susan Blackmore. They they made mistakes in basic uh, 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 statistician uh, statistical uh, uh, calculations, and were rightly embarrassed by. Uh, statisticians who went behind him and said, you know, you made basic math errors in your uh, statistics. Um, and uh, psychologists cannot do statistics. Mathematicians do statistics. And uh, there, there's a whole bunch of mistakes in this. So um, uh, some critics maintain that mediums fish for information. This did not happen with Piper and Leonard. These things were taken into advantage. So what we have is scientific evidence that Mrs. Popper and Mrs. Leonard were speaking with spirits or contacting communication of some sort with the consciousness, some kind of remainder of these people. We'll come back next week and pick this up. Stay with us and come back. You know, I love you guys, and I'm glad that you listened to us. So return more information for you.